This morning, I want to I wanna share with us, I'm going to start reading a scripture. Um, in Psalm 126, I think they've got it on the, they might have it on the back there, yes. And uh, this, so uh, before we jump in there, so my mom, my, my parents, I have incredible parents and they, they prayed for us, you know, growing up. And uh, Psalm 126 is the portion that since I was a young boy, my mom prayed for me uh, growing up. Um, and it was almost like the theme that whenever she said she was praying for me, this is, the, this is the portion, okay? And you'll see now why it is controversial to be thankful for it and, and like, what are we thinking, all right? But she said, this is what it says, Psalm 126. It says, when the Lord brought back the captives from Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those, and this is the portion, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And he who goes out weeping, carrying the seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with him. That's, the, that's those last two verses is what my mom prayed for me. And you know, I'm thankful and I'm also not thankful because it involves crying and, and, uh, but, and sowing in tears and weeping. But, uh, but there's a portion. The, 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 the point is that there'll be songs of joy, mouths filled with laughter. And I, you know, when I was praying for the church, this is now before we even moved here. When I, when I heard that we're moving, I was asking the Lord, where do you start with the new church? What do you do when, uh, or it's not a new church, it's an established church, but for me, it's a new season. And actually for us, it's a new season together. I'm like, God, where do we begin? And I, I felt the Lord give me this, uh, this portion where he said, it's time for us to dream again. It's time for us to dream again. And, uh, you know, the start, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, it says, we were like those who dreamed. And um, I wonder, you know, have, have we lost the dreams in our heart and the, the, the purpose, the hope, the joy that the Lord has set before us? And, uh, and we just, we, we're looking down. And dreams have got lost. And then it says, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. For those of you who remember last week, Irina handed me that scroll, you know, with all the prophecies. And one of the things in those words is that it's written is that this will be a house of joy. You know that? Yeah? That's a good word, okay? That we, we are meant to be a house of joy. And, uh, but you know that the enemy would love to make us a house that is heavy and burdened and weary and tired. And, uh, and I want to remind you guys, you know, that and it includes us now, that we are meant to be a house of joy. And um, our, our, our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations that the Lord has done great things for them. And you know what I desire? Now, is I desire that it will be known in the Southern Cape and in Mossel Bay and in the nations that God has done great things for us. That God is doing great things in us and through us. That will be known. We don't, you know, it was a lucky thing. I said to the leaders on Tuesday, we don't have to tell everyone that we are based church. If we are that, the nations will know that God is doing great things among us. Amen? All right. And then it says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in, streams in the Negev. Now, I don't want to go down this too long, but the Negev Desert, it is, I don't know if you've seen those videos from in Israel where it is dry, dry, dry rock. And then once a year, there comes these flat um, 
streams, né, that you hear rushing from the top of the mountain, and it comes like a, a stream in the Negev, okay, and it, it rushes over rocks, and it actually, it's quite dangerous to stand in that riverbed, because it brings these boulders with it, you know, as streams come flushing through, and it's kind of the picture that it gives us here, you know, it's like, um, that God wants to restore, like where it's been dry, God wants to bring a stream in the desert again. And those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And I want to remind you, you know, this morning as you speak about dreams, dreams isn't always dreamy. You know, in a, when the Lord gives us a dream, it's often filled with tears. You know, but the end result, the point is songs of joy as we reap. Those who go out weeping and carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with them. And um, so... When he speaks about dreaming, or, or that we were like those who dreamed, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not referring to um, dreams when you're sleeping. Yeah? Those are also good. But when he speaks about the dream, yeah, the, the, um, how it's written in the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew expert, so I'm not making myself out of this, okay? Or out as one. But it actually speaks about um, health or full of life. And the picture that, he gives, that David gives us here is that we were once broken, but now we are full of life. We were once cast down, but now we're restored. That's the picture where he says, remember the dreams that God has given us. Remember the purpose. Remember the hope that God has given us. And, uh, and he says he wants to put that back into our hearts. And that is, the, that is the, you know, God has a purpose for us, and the enemy has a purpose for us. You know, you know that the enemy has a purpose for your life? John 10.10 10 says this. You know what John 10.10 10 says? The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy that's the enemy's purpose for us. But God says, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. And um, it's interesting, you know, speaking about what, what the enemy wants to steal from us. I always say to guys, he's not that interested in, in stealing your business or stealing your whatever. He would like to do that because it hurts, okay? But if, if, the, if Satan can steal the dreams that God has for us, if he can make you a visionless purpose, if he can make you a, ho- a visionless person, if he can make you a hopeless person, you, you won. Yeah. And there's so many people, you know, that goes through life. I'm thinking about Paul that wrote, he says, you know, at the end of his life, he's writing, he says, I ran my race. I, I finished the course, you know, I fought the good fight. And I often wonder, you know, there's many people that get to the end of their lives and they ran the race, but it wasn't the good race. They fought some fights, but it wasn't the good fight. Yeah. And, uh, and the enemy manages to, to have a, a ton of people, you know, live 60, 70, 80 years Purposeless, visionless, hopeless. And uh, it's maybe not be that, eh? <laughs> Someone laughing there. I don't really know. We will not be that. So I want to I wanna get into a story this morning um, in Genesis 37. We read about a guy called Joseph. Now, Joseph was a dreamer. You guys have probably heard about Joseph before, I hope, okay? And, uh, and I want to read through it. And I think there's going to be just some portions that God wants to really re- revive something again in us this morning, to, to fan into flame dreams, okay? So we're going to read together in uh, Genesis 37. Um, we get, you can put it up there from verse 3. It says, Now Israel loved Joseph by the Well, Israel was, um, yes, like number, I think it was an old one, What is his, his first name before he became Israel? Jacob, thank you. Um, so he was actually a dude, okay? He was a guy. And that out of the nation, out of whom the nation was born, okay? So it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That's quite a statement, okay? It's forever written in the Bible, okay? 
because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had been uh, richly ornamented. Uh, he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Okay, so he was a lot lamiki. And, and uh, I'm going to read there with you guys. And uh, that one looks better. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Just going to read it so I can um, get my notes ready. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright when your, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. I said, now, there's sometimes you need to know when God gives you a dream, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> All right? There is those times where we actually, you know, Joseph, Joseph definitely wasn't written about him that he was the most humble man to ever walk the face of the planet. Okay? This is not the guy we're speaking about. But also I want to say, often when God puts a dream in your heart, you'll be hated. Sometimes even by those closest to you. All right? It is, it's how it works with God. You know, God sometimes, God chooses a man. And it's, I don't know how it works, but sometimes, you know, we are all equally unique and all well loved by God. Yet God sometimes chose instruments, vessels, and there's something specific on them for a purpose. And uh, when there's jealousy in us, you know, and jealousy is very rife among us very quickly, you'll be hated. And so don't be surprised if some, sometimes close to you, people hate you for the call of God that is on your life. All right, just a side, side note. It says, then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers again, okay, the second time. He says, listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Leave a genade, okay, this is like as arrogant as you want to get it, okay. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Okay, this is not like, man, I don't know what I was thinking about where is this supposed to go. And they're going to say, great, that's, we're looking forward to that day, okay? And so, that's not how it works, okay? And, you know, like sometimes, you know, but what amazes me in the story, you know, so I think, you know, if he had good character, he probably should have kept it to himself. But somehow in the, in the Lord's wisdom, you know, actually God uses Joseph's error and Joseph's pride to allow the Lord to let the dream play out to fulfill, for fulfillment. If Joseph stayed in that family, he definitely wouldn't have had his father bow down to him. Anyway. Yeah. Then it says, verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. That must have been incredible for a father to think it might be true that one day, that one day. And then from verse 16, um, so now he's going out to the field. His dad wants him to go spy on his brothers. And then he says, he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went off to his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when he saw them in the distance and before he could reach them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we will see what becomes of his dreams. And you know, when I, when I read this, I, um, that right there is the word of the enemy. 
God comes and he, you know, I was, I was thinking, you know, this is, Joseph, by the way, was 17 years old when this was happening. You know, I was trying to think back when I was 17. What was the dreams that the Lord had put in my heart? What was what he, you know, have you had those moments with God where it's you and God and, uh, and God gives you promises, you know, it's like, this is what I want to do with your life. This is, this is something that I have for you one day, you know, you, you, we treasure it in our hearts. Sometimes like, if you're like me, we blurt it out and we wonder why everyone hates us. Yes, I was very arrogant, a lot more than now, back in the day. And, um, but, but, there's, but there's dreams that God gives us on this. says, this is what I want to do with your life. And then the enemy would love to get in there, and then he says, here comes the dreamer. And says, I know who you are. Or, or let's, let's put you through the mill. Let's put you through the suffering thing. And let's see what happens of your dreams. Yeah. And I was thinking you know, last night when we were driving back, one thing that, um, I mean, this is so, um, let me check my time here. But uh, one thing with elders, you know, that I was, I was thinking about, it, and we got good elders in this house. But one thing that actually makes elders, you know, is that they're able to go through tests and, uh, and hold the course with God when we've, we've been put through the mill. Yeah. Is there something about like a, a steadiness, like it actually or leaders in general, you know, it's like someone who carries weight when they speak, someone who carries authority, someone when there's, um, when there's a weight to their words when they're in a conversation, is someone who's been through the fire and able to keep their course, able to keep the dream of God in their hearts alive, able to keep the, the course. Um, are you guys with me? Yeah, because the enemy would love to get in there. And I think often he gets it right when everyone falls off the side, you know, when, when a little bit of, uh, um, not, not temptation, but um, trials and tribulation comes. Like it's so quickly for us to fall off the, way, off, off the side, you know, here comes the dreamer. Let's see what becomes of his dreams. Yeah, that's, the, that's the enemy's plan for us. And um, so, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking uh, when... When Andrew always used to say, when God gives you a very clear dream, you're going to need it. Yeah. Because uh, there will be enough uh, tribulation along the way that you're going to have to hang on to the dream. When God just says, like, I'm going to use you, you know, and it's not very clear, enjoy the ride. Yeah. But if God tells you this and this and this is what I want to do with you, you better write that down, put it on your wall, and remember that when the trials and tribulation come past. Yeah. Any of you have had those before? All right. So Joseph, all right. Yeah, Joseph gets sold to a slave, as, as a slave, you know. So his brothers, they, they say, luckily the one, Reuben was fighting for him. He says, we can't kill him, okay? So we, they sell him as a slave, and he ends up in Egypt. And, um, and he's sold to a guy named Potiphar, okay? I don't know how you say that in English. Pot Potiphar, okay? I'm, I'm Afrikaans, if you ever wanted, okay? Potiphar. And, um, and so, in Potiphar's house, okay, um, so, so he's in Potiphar's house, and, he, and it's amazing. Immediately he says he recognized that there was something unique on Joseph's life. And so Joseph, you know, he just, his dreams in his mind got destroyed. You know, he gets sold as a slave for your own brother. Your dad thinks you're dead. And you end up in Egyptian's house, which was the enemy, okay, by the way, of Israel. And, um, and now you arrive in his dude's house. And I think if, if that was me, probably I would have been downcast, miserable, hating life, angry at God, angry at my brothers. But Joseph held his course, and Potiphar recognized that there's something unique on this guy's life, and he makes him, um, you know, um, ruler over his household, and it, it puts him in charge. And Potiphar was an important guy in, um, in, uh, in, the, in, in the Egyptian 
Eerst uh, wat ik verloor al mijn woorden volgen. Okay? In de Egyptian um, like order or whatever. He was the important guy. And, and so he makes him over the house and there was blessing on that house. But then there was a lady called Potiphar's wife. And uh, she was a... <laughs> hey? <laughs> what did I miss now? <laughs> Named Potiphar's wife, okay? And... Um, and she was not a good lady, okay? And she wanted to, I, I, I wonder if Joseph was maybe good looking or whatever, but she wanted to seduce the dude, okay? And he ran away from her. I don't know if you, I mean, if you know the story, but he ran and she tore a piece of his clothes off and she told a lying story, you know, says he was trying to sleep with me and that Potiphar loses his cool and he throws him in prison, okay? Now, it's, it's incredible that, I mean, Joseph was doing the right thing. He actually ran away from this lady and uh, trying to, to do the right thing. And she tells a lie. And now he ends up in prison. All right. It's like round number two. Like you were doing the, the right thing before God, man. And, uh, and this other unsaved person, you know, actually does something to you that, that, that destroys the dream. And now you're in prison. And I, I don't think Egyptian prisons were nice, by the way. And, um, but he remained a dreamer. And in prison, there's two other guys that got thrown in there by, by Pharaoh. And the one is the, the cupbearer and one is the baker. And they both have a dream. And he says, I've got news for you. I can interpret the dream. Why? Because Joseph was good with dreams. He was able to keep dreams in his heart to life. Okay? And he says, for the baker, bad news. You'll die. Okay? That's the interpretation of the dream. If you like, it's a, it said it in a bit nicer words, but that is basically what's going to happen. For the cupbearer, good news. You'll be restored to your former position. You'll serve Pharaoh again. And you know, it happens exactly like Joseph predicted because he was good with dreams, all right? He had the Lord with him. And then he says, but please, will you remember me when you get out of here? All right. I mean, if you felt like that before, it's just, okay, now I've passed the test now. And there's someone that, in a sense, hold the keys to your... Um, to your dream, the keys to your destiny. And you're like, please remember me when you get to whatever you need to do with me, all right? And then he says, the, cup, the chief cupbearer, however, in uh, Genesis 40, verse 23, says, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him, okay? As plainly as you wanted in the Bible, okay? They forgot about him. And then two years go by. Two years. Now, I was trying to, you know, looking at these timelines in Genesis, and we read it, and you turn a page, and it's like, and whatever. But imagine, you know, what happens to us in two years? When, uh, when we feel that God has forgotten us, and, uh, and two years go by, and you just try and stick to be faithful with whatever you need to do, and you work day to day to day, and there's this dream that God had placed in your heart, and someone had the key, and it's as plainly as this is, they forgot him. <laughs> they forgot you. And I wonder, you know, with us as a people, can we keep our, our love for the Lord burning? Can we keep the, the zeal for the Lord's house burning? Can we keep our passion for the Lord burning if for two years or longer we are forgotten and overlooked and feels like, man, it just doesn't matter anymore? How many of us, man, after a week just lose this passion? You know, I'm done with this thing. Yeah? I should stop saying there, by the way. Anton's going to laugh at me. Two years go by, and then Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can interpret it. And suddenly the cupbearer remembers. There's this guy who's good with dreams. And uh, I just want to remind you that Joseph was 17 years old when God first gave him these dreams. And by the time they fetched him from prison, he was 30 years old. 13, 13 years 
that since God has given him the dream, that something will happen. And then it's seven, uh, 13 years later that, he, that, he, that he's being fetched from the prison. And um, it played out very different than he anticipated. And I read this thing lately uh, where, where someone said, you know, we are interested in the destination, but God is interested in who you're becoming. You know, I think sometimes we're like, I, I would like to do what God wants me to do, but he must just tell me the plan. And I have more peace when God just tells me the plan. Let me tell you, you will have zero peace when God tells you the plan with what he wants to do with your life. All right? You will have no peace. I'll tell you now, if God told me 13 years ago what he wants to do with me and what has to happen with me for where I have to come out, I would have bailed. I thought about it when I was driving to that, that wedding. I, if I knew what I know now, I wouldn't have done it before God, okay? Because I didn't like the journey. But He has to do it with us, to put us through the test, to put us through the fire, to purify us, because God is more interested in who you're becoming than where you're going. He's looking for character. He's looking for, for people who can carry His presence, not someone who can just do what He wants us to do and put into... If God had to do with me 13 years ago and have me here now who I was then, it would have been a disaster. If Joseph became second in command under the Pharaoh when he was 17 years old, it would have been a disaster. God had to put him through the fire. And um, so I think one of the points I want to make this morning is that often God's dreams are not dreamy. And, and, and so this is now we have to see how long I can go into this. But I felt the Lord speak to us about suffering, you know. And um, one thing in the... One thing I think which is temptation in the world today is that we are selling a cheap Christianity. A cheap Christianity says, come and follow Jesus, and I tell you, everything will be better. I just want to say, yes, but also it will not be. It will be the hardest thing that you've ever done. And you know, you know I could say it? Because in the Bible, God made it very clear that following, following Him will be hard. God made no secret of it in the Bible that following him there will be consequences and suffering and trials and tribulations. He didn't hide it. It is very clear. If you read the Bible, you'll see there that you'll go through much tribulation. But, but, it'll also be the best thing that you've done in with your whole life. Because you'll actually find life. And uh, before you met God, you were dead. And I think sometimes, you know, um, we, we don't think about the, 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 the crossover from following Jesus and not following Jesus. We think of it as one is just better than the other or more exciting than the other. But you know that it's actually the Bible says that when you were in your sins, you were dead. And we don't often think about it like our BC days, before Christian days or before Christ days, that you were dead. But do you, did you know that before you came to salvation, you were dead in your sins? You were on your way to hell. There was no dreams, actually. Even the dreams that you carried in your heart was dead dreams. And when you meet God, it says you were made alive. And um, so it's so worth the, the trials and tribulations. And so it's not like, okay, I'll just keep, keep down this path and there'll maybe be less suffering. There'll be suffering and it'll be dead. And... Um, you know, something I feel God is doing with us as a church, you know, is um, can, we, can we have a theology in us that um, suffering is part of following the Lord? It's, it's part, of, part of the process. It's part of, it's part of our walk with God. And um, who of you have heard this teaching before that God will not give you more than what you can handle? 
Have you heard that? I just want to say that's the biggest lie out there. All right. The Bible says that God will give you escape for every temptation that there is, that it will not be more than what you can endure, and He will give you a door out for temptation. Okay? But I want to say that my life has been one of being much more than what I can handle. <laughs> and Paul wrote this in, a, in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we've experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Okay, there goes that other teaching. So that we despaired of even life itself. Paul's, Paul says this, I wanted to die. Because the pressure was too much. The trials and tribulation was too much. Indeed, we felt like we have received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That is what it's trying to produce in us. That you may not rely on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. You know, sometimes God has to bring us to the end of the self, being forgotten in that pit, being lost, being overlooked, being hurt, being in pain, being dreams crushed. But if you can set your eyes on him, that you can know that it's not you, but it's God. What God wants to do through your life and like I realized on Sunday when Mona handed over that thing, it's like, I cannot do it. It's the most sobering thing, I think, for any Christian to get to that place. It's like, what God wants to, me, to do through me, I cannot do it. Have you got there yet? If not, I don't want to preach it over you. But there might be areas where God is going to bring you to a place where you realize you can't do it. No amens to that. All right. <laughs> All right. Yes. It is, it is I know. Right. He's teaching us not to rely on ourselves, but on Him who raises the dead. And then someone said this, is without pressure, we will never really learn to trust God. Without pressure, we will never really learn to be the church. And you need pressure to reach out to those who the Lord has put around you. That is it, all right? That is it, that God wants to produce in, our, in us. It's not a cheap and easy thing, but it's like we, he needs, we need pressure to actually be this, a healthy church. We need it. Second Corinthians 1, 6 says this, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which, you, which produces in you a patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And you know, uh, the elders might maybe won't enjoy this. Paul is speaking here about elders that is going through suffering. And he says, when we suffer, it is for your good. <laughs> so that you can watch us, how we go through it, so that you too can pause your test. That's what he says. All right. He says, you know, one of the, I think for elders, um, we once asked Andrew, what is, the, if, what is the biggest role of an elder? What is the most important thing that an elder has to do in the house of God? And Andrew said this, he said, it is to be an example. And that is it, you know. It is like, there's a lot of things that we juggle, but even in our suffering, we have to be an example so that when you go through suffering, you can look at us and say, hang on to God. When we go through stuff that we have to sort out, 
It is so that we can be an example, so that you can look to us. You can say, that is how we go through sufferings. That is how we go through trials. That is how we go through tribulations. That is what Paul says. Take comfort in that. <laughs> and when we have comfort, it is also so that you can look at us. And so that we don't fall. You know, there's, there's two tests. It is, the, it is the, the tribulation test and there's the successful test. When we comfort it, how do we go through that? Do we lose sight of God and we just dream or we just fly away? Or do we hang on to God when we're doing well and we comfort it? So you can look at us and it's like, how, how do we hang on to God in the good seasons? All right, I'm waffling here. I need to, are you guys still with me? All right. Then Romans 5 says, this is actually interesting, I have it in here. But it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. How many of you are able to glory in your sufferings? <laughs> All right. How many of you are, man, yes, like, this is a hard word. I didn't, actually, when I prepped, I didn't feel it as heavy, okay? Can, guys, can we glory in our suffering of, like, actually, to, to remember, God is busy forming us. I actually said to the leaders on Tuesday, guys, because in the, in the three weeks that I've been here, I, I can't tell you how many churches I've heard these words that we are a base church, okay? I just said to them, we can say that we are a base church all we want, but if we don't have Jesus, what do we have to give? Nothing, okay? Like, so we need to remember when we suffer, when there's trials, when there's pressure, God is busy forming us so that we can be that base church and we have something to give the world. So we glory in our sufferings. By the way, it includes all of you, just so you know. It says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Who of you have lost hope? Who of you have lost sight? Who of you have lost vision? There's been a lot of speaking about sight. You remember the eye. I can see again, okay? But uh, who of you have lost sight? Who of you have lost hope? Who of you maybe don't even have hope because there's no perseverance, there's no character? You, 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 fall off the, you fell off the bus when suffering came. Guys, I want to remind us, get back on the bus of suffering. <laughs> All right. Paul was writing this to Timothy, actually. Yes, I'm, go, I'm going down this line, but it sends, I sense God is on this. I want to remind you. And Timothy writes this. I think it's 2 Timothy 4. He says, says to them, Now it's been granted to you, not only, oh man, how does he wear this? Um, not only to, um, uh, remind me, it has been granted to you, not only to um, something for God is a good thing, but also to suffer for Him. It has been granted to you to also suffer for God. You know that? <laughs> so, I, I haven't had this little amens in a preach before. But um, I, I think it's good for us to be honest about this. Né? And I, you know, I'm not only speaking about personal suffering and personal dreams, but you know that as a church, there's dreams that God gives us. As a church, there's, there's something that we together take a hold of. As a church, there's something we desire. So I'm going to put one in front of us, that we are meant to be a house of joy. Né? How has the enemy tried to steal that thing from us? Can we be honest about that? How has he tried to get in there that, that this suddenly it just became hard? It's the suffering test. Can we keep our course? You know, that God remains our treasure and that God produces character and perseverance in us and a hope that actually in all seasons we can be a house of joy.
That's ours together, by the way, that we need to take a hold of. Not mine or not the elders or not those who've been here the longest. That's ours. A house of joy. All right? It has been granted to us that we can suffer for God. That He can form something in us. Amen? Amen. We're going to continue with the Joseph story. But um, so now it says, when two full years have passed, Pharaoh had a dream. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. This is verse 14. And it says, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And it's interesting, it says, um, it says here, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought. But that quickly took 13 years. And uh, Ivan always used to tell me in Malchus, he says, God takes a long time to suddenly act. God takes a long time to suddenly act. And we just don't know when God is going to move suddenly. And, uh, and can we stick with God that when He needs us, we can quickly be brought from the dungeon? <laughs> and then He says, And He changed His clothes and He came before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it was said of you that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then, so you'd think Joseph would say, Finally! Someone recognized me, okay? 13 years ago, the Lord told me that all of you would bow down before me. Okay, he says, I can do this. I've been born for this moment, okay? But he actually says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You know that that is the place that God wants to bring you to? That very dream that you think, ah, oh, this is what God is going to do with my life. No point is, it is not for you. It is not so that we can look so great. It is so that we can serve the master with what he wants to do. What an amazing response. You know, one of the words that I felt the Lord give me, just personally coming here, is, uh, is Exodus 23, 29. But it says, but I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would have become too desolate and wild, and animals too numerous for you. And this is the portion. It says, little by little, I will drive them out before you, until you've increased enough to take possession of the land. And you know, so if, you, if you know me, I used to be a track and field athlete, a sprinter. Okay, I was a 240 meter athlete. I loved it. Okay, like the adrenaline and the rush. Uh, there's something about that. Like, so you train four hours a day to try and take half a second of your time. <laughs> okay, it's it's the craziest sport ever. And uh, but I loved it. But something you know, in my nature is I'm a sprinter. So when I get here, I was like, okay, let's go, and we change stuff, and, blah, 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 and we're gonna get in there. And I just and actually, the Lord just told me from the start. He says, little by little, little, you'll inherit the land. Little by little, God will drive it out. Why? Because He says He wants to make, He wants to produce perseverance and character and hope in us. Otherwise, when there's any temptation that comes again, we'll be overrun. He's forming us. He's forming us, you know. How's this scripture? Hebrews 5.8, it says, Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, okay, learned obedience through the things he suffered. Did you know that the Son of God had to learn obedience to God through suffering? Amen. And we, 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 we so easily give up on God and give up on dreams when there's any bit of suffering and it's, this is not how I intended it to play out. This is, I'm out. 
And I wonder, you know, how many Christians have, have, have given up on their race with God just through suffering that came in. And, and disillusionment, disillusionment and hope and, and whatever. Jesus himself had to learn obedience to God through suffering. And um, I wonder, you know, I want to go back. Uh, I left some of it out in the beginning. But I was just asking the Lord, you know, what steals dreams? What, what is it that, that, that maybe God in among us as a church and as you and an individual what has tried to steal the dream that God has placed in your life and, and the dreams that he has for us as a church has tried to get in there? And the first thing that I felt is delay. Delay. It didn't happen as fast as I wanted it to happen. Okay? God gives us a dream and we try and force it. Straight out the gate. And it's just not happening, I anticipate. It takes 13 years or longer for this suddenly to happen. And um, so we decided that God is not interested anymore and we'll, we'll make another plan. Delay steals dreams. I'm just going to go through some of this if you want to write some of it down. But I actually want to encourage you. Some of you need to write some of these things down. And you need to do business with God in this week. And actually allow the Lord to search you. All right, so this is not just a Sunday preacher. Some of you need to allow God to search your heart for where the enemy got in and stole dreams. All right, and you need to do business with God. And we're going to do business with Him today. But allow the Lord to, I really felt this is for something here in this house. There's betrayal, okay? That someone turned out different than we expected. And there was hurt and pain in a dream. And a dream died. You know, I've had those where, where I, I had friends and we were going to take a hold of the nations together and then there was betrayal. I tell you, and dreams died. There's, there's parts of my heart that has died when, when people just turn out different than I expected them to turn out. And, so, and, and, and there was areas of my heart that died to dreams. Okay, I don't want to get into it too for you. False accusation. Potiphar's wife. All right. You try to do the right thing. You were... You ran, you're, you're running for holiness, and it was false accusation, and you end up in prison. And, uh, and maybe you weren't able, like Joseph, to keep the course and remain the dreamer, but the dreams died. Getting overlooked, all right, that one I think is for everyone. If you've got any leadership on your life, you'll be overlooked, just so you know. God will hide you, because he wants to see, is, are you in it for your own gain, okay? Or are you in it for, for, for the Lord's gain? Jealousy. And I want to pause a little bit on this one. Jealousy was the brothers that actually killed him in the first place or wanted to kill him. But um, James 3 says this. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, that's to run like this, okay? It says, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I wonder if we really name jealousy as demonic. Jealousy will destroy the church. If there's jealousy among us here, you know, I, even, I mean, I'll speak about us as an eldership team here. You know, it is a miracle that some guy from outside that is 30 years old comes in to lead a team here with guys that could have been my parents. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, we, and, we, and we're, running different, we, we're running the same race, but we have different graces. And I would say this, if there's any jealousy or selfish ambition among us, it is demonic and it will destroy us. 
And as a team, you know, we often, uh, we will get, we're only three weeks in it now, but we, we will often have to speak to one another to make sure that there's no selfish ambition that creeps in among us, including in my side, that we start jostling with one another because it will destroy us. Guys, I want to say in the church, if there's any jealousy in us, you know, like the older brother, remember him? Okay, the older brother, they will say like, who's this guy now that he wasted all his life and now God does this with him and gives him a fattened calf? Jealousy, destroy the church. For where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But God is a God of order. And, um, and I, I wonder what God is busy doing. Is He busy taking jealousy and selfish ambition out of us? I just want to encourage you, the only way He can do that is through suffering. To rid us of jealousy. All right, you guys okay still? <laughs> okay, I'm about to land, okay. There's, be, there's being humiliated, yeah? and um, either for our own mistakes or for someone else's, but I wonder, I wonder who of you have been humiliated, and uh, maybe for some of us, we don't care that much, but uh, I know for, for my wife, for example, I know that if she's humiliated, it is the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> and uh, it's just, I think it's, nee, it's a forget, nee. I think so. <laughs> if I ever humiliate my wife, that's when, that's when I really hurt her. All right? And I wonder if some of you have been humiliated and uh, you just drew back into some cave and just let the dream of God go. Revenge. All right? Revenge is, um, is the older brother, that Cain, that actually was jealous of Abel and ended up killing his brother jealousy that turns into revenge and I want to say that if we can't forgive or if we if we can't yeah if we, if we can't forgive of hurt Nelson Mandela said this you guys would have heard this quote but he says unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person to die let's say that again unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die that's revenge you know it's like wanting to hurt someone else and the only person that that's hurting is you and it will destroy the dream of God in your life. The eighth one is success. Okay? When God gives us promotion and suddenly we forget that it was God who did it and not us. And we forget about Him and start following our own plans. You know, suffering produces one thing, but success is almost more dangerous. You know, it, re it reveals what is really in our hearts. <laughs> that we just want to get to the top. Or do we remain humble and serve, serve like the Lord wants us to serve? Number nine is pain. Pain, and um, and I love our church. I'll just say that I love this church. Yeah? We're not the perfect church. And if you if you're visiting us today and you're hoping to find the perfect church, I want to say, don't come. We're not we're not perfect, okay. And in, and if you join us, you're gonna make it imperfect, okay? <laughs> because we're all human, okay. We're human, and and I want to say, church hurt is real, okay. Before I was saved, I had severe church hurt. <laughs> seeing what it did to my parents. I'll tell you that story another time. But I've seen the suffering and the pain that a church can cause. All right? And I, I don't want to make light of this. But I've had plenty church hurt in my life. All right? Do you know who had the most church hurt? It's Jesus. Yet He shows up every Sunday when we're together. Yet He shows up every time we're together. I want to say if pain, and especially church hurt, 
is saying, that's it, I've had enough of this thing. I just want you to remember, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. And allow him to work through the pain. What is he trying to produce in you? And I'm saying this lightly now, but please hear me. I, I've seen plenty of it, and I've had my fair share of it. So I'm not saying it as a, as a just get over it. But I'm saying let's work through it. That God can produce in us what he wants to produce. And the last one is comparison. It's when we're so focused on someone else's dream that we forget what God wants to do in us and we forsake the core of God that it has for us. Guys, if we're going to keep looking at one another's dream and say, actually, I want to be that or I want to be that or I want to be that, I'll never become what God wants me to become. And I'll lose the own dream that God has given me. And I want to say, don't, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. That's what Theodore Roosevelt said. It's not a scripture, by the way. But it's true. <laughs> it says, if we made it be a house of joy, you know what will rob us? <laughs> it's comparison. It's looking at other congregations or looking at other people in this congregation and say, ah, oh, we want to be that or we want to be that. And we'll never be what God wants us to be. I want to finish with this. Genesis 50. At the end, so Joseph's brothers came to him, you know, the story completed. We, I think most of us know the story. And they came and they had to buy grain. And there was numerous instances where he, he like, you know, tried to bring them back. And he hid his cup in their bags and whatever. And he, eventually, Genesis 50, they're before him. It says, but Joseph, and they were afraid. His brothers were afraid of him because now suddenly they wanted to kill him. And now he's in power. What is he going to do with him? He could literally do this with his finger and they'll be killed for real. All right. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? Thank you. Says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Says, we're in the place of God, man. I'm where God wants me to be. He says, what you intended for evil, what the enemy intended for evil. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Do you have a theology that suffering includes God? That what is meant to harm me in some ways, God is in it and he intends it for your good. All right? To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He says, so then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. How amazing is that? Not harshly, not chase them away like now I'll show you. He says, I spoke kindly to them. And you know what, it, what is one of the big, biggest keys for us to walk in the dream and the, the inheritance that God has for us is to fight for your brother's inheritance. Must I say that again? The, the way that we take a hold of what God wants to take hold of or wants to do in our lives is to not fight for your own inheritance. It's fight for your brother's inheritance. That your dream is not made for you. It's for us. My purpose here is not to get to my thing, whatever I want to have in my mind. It's the top of the rank, okay? Whatever you want to put to it. That's not, that's not the point. My dream here is to let all of you run into your dreams that God has for you. That's my purpose. As, a, as an eldership team, our, our role is not like, how can we just be the best or whatever and like have the, all the authority and we can pull around. No, man. Our role is to let you run into all what, you, what God has for you. And your role 
is to, to let your brothers run past you. You know, I'm thinking about Aiden and Alicia. The amount of people that I spoke to in this church throughout just in the three weeks that I've been here, that have said, when we, when we got to Mosul Bay, we started in Aiden and Alicia's community. <laughs> and it's like often they're elders and leaders and deacons or whatever. And I was like, you know, it's an incredible gift that is on them that it feels like there was countless people that have ran past them. It's just that they've stirred into their dreams. You guys have done well. And, uh, but there's something of that heart that actually all of us should carry is that our purpose is to see everyone else run into their dreams. Fight for your brother's inheritance.